Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Three themes that we've been studying in the Gospel of Mark, a king, his kingdom, and the call to discipleship, or stated another way, how the king leads us by us following him into his kingdom, as it were. And last week in Mark chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, we, we looked at this big idea. We approach Jesus in our fear and in our need, and Jesus is faithful to those with imperfect faith, which to that we can say amen. This morning, uh, we will touch on that other big idea here in just a minute. Now, I know I have a couple of artists in the room this morning, okay? So maybe you see a picture like this, and I know it's not a clear picture, it's kind of dark, but maybe you look at it and you say, okay, no, I know who painted that. Don't tell anyone else yet, okay? Here's a little story. Earlier this year in the United States, which I know, blah, 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 United States, but It's in a place that I've never been, New Jersey, okay? You've probably seen it on TV. There were two brothers who were cleaning out their dead grandmother's basement. And as they cleaned, they found items that were worth several hundred dollars. And frankly, was worth very little to them as possessions. So they sold them, got what money they could. But one item in particular had given them the creeps their word, not mine, ever since they were little boys. And it was a painting that always sat on their grandparents' dining room table. It just sat there, looking at everyone. (laughs) And it was a dark painting. The people on it weren't particularly nice looking. Um, And in fact, one of them was passed out. And there it sat for so many years. Everyone becoming accustomed to it if not creeped out by it. And they decided that since it was a very old painting, they knew that much, that they would try to sell it at least. So they went online to an auction site, and they put it on the auction site for $250. But they didn't get it. Much to their surprise, a couple of hours later, there was a bid, someone offering them $800. And so they waited. Oh, wow, great, $800. I can't believe this. And then they waited, and someone offered $5,000. And then $80,000. And then $100,000. And then $400,000. And then $440,000. And then someone who seemed to know what was going on offered them $1.1 million dollars. For that painting that sat on their mother, grandmother's table and creeped them out all those years. And that day, three people went home very happy. Two brothers who, just so happens, they can provide for their family for a very long time with $1.1 million. And one person who buys paintings to resell them who walked away with a painting by an artist named Rembrandt. Okay? And not only that, it was painted in the year 1624. And upon him fully realizing what he had done, a week later, resold that painting 
for $4 million. Now, um, those are all outrageous numbers, and to be honest with you, I can't even fathom what $4 million is or looks like or what you could do with it. But I do suppose that it's easy to look at things that seem plain to you and me and to ignore them, right? to grow accustomed to them, for them to be the new normal. Um, coming from a cornfield, for instance, a maize field, these mountains every single day are like a miracle to me. When I'm driving Finnegan to school, Aislinn to school, of course I want to be on them, and yet at the same time, I just can't believe that something like that actually exists. I'm so used to flat and plain, and that is my normal. In the case of Jesus, in our passage today, we see that the normality, the normalness of Jesus, the humanness of his humanity, it scandalizes, it offends, and for some, it leads to unbelief. Our big idea for today is this, Jesus should be offensive to you. He should be offensive to you. Now, for each of us, he's going to be offensive in different ways. We're going to see how he's offensive to the people in his hometown today. For you and I, I suspect that he's offensive because he seems to offer something to us that we can't do for ourselves, that we so desperately want to do for ourselves. But don't let that offense turn to unbelief. Jesus should offend us, but don't let the offense turn to unbelief. And we're going to be looking at three things today, three questions, asking three questions. How did the people in Jesus' hometown respond? How did Jesus respond? And how should you and I respond? Or how do we respond? So let's start off in verses 1 through 3. And he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. This word astonished here sounds like a good thing, right? (laughs) This would be like me being astonished that when I left the room, my children decided to blow up the kitchen, okay? (laughs) Everyone's scandalized. That's what the Greek word means. That they were morally, culturally offended by what Jesus was teaching. They were astonished. They were saying... Where did he get these things? What is the wisdom given him? How were such mighty works done by his hands? It's easy for us to read those those questions that everyone's asking and to say, oh wow, they're really positively amazed by what he's doing. But from this word scandalized, we see that maybe they're not so positively amazed. And we in this passage, we see that it's not necessarily the teachings of Jesus that are offending his hometown uh, neighbors. It's not the miracles that they've heard of. 
It's not the wisdom with which he speaks. In fact, all of those things seem pretty cool. (laughs) We can pretty much affirm from all the news that they've heard that those things were probably sent from God through Jesus to be done. Everyone in in Nazareth is fairly convinced that these things are from God. But the general conversation in the crowd continued, and it went something like this. Is this not the carpenter? Isn't he he just a, a mason? Doesn't he just work with stone and wood and build stuff? The son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters with us? And they all took offense. In other words, how can those hands do such mighty work? (laughs) In fact, I've seen the houses and the buildings that he and his father helped build. They might be nice, but mighty works? I don't think so. Well, you know, he used to build with his brother's father. Brother's father? What do you mean? Well, don't you remember? We don't even really know who Jesus' dad is. See, during this time period, it would have been absolutely offensive to say the son of Mary, even if the dad was dead. And yet, how does everyone react? Well, that's Mary's son. Not Joseph's son. Mary's. Oh, repent and believe. (laughs) This guy's probably compensating for something, the fact that he doesn't even know who his dad is. His mother was loose before they got married. And does he really think that he's better than James or Jude or Justice or Simon or even his sisters? His sisters are here with us. Did we not change his nappies? Does he now think that he is better than us? He's only human. He's just the kid next door. So what if he made good in the region and he has a bunch of people following him? He must have forgotten how things work around here. You don't disrespect your elders like that. You don't get to command belief or repentance from your neighbors. Especially, and let's just say it, someone like Jesus. Forgive me for this, but for lack of a better term, he's a bastard. This is the thrust of what the people from Jesus' hometown are saying about him. That's the strength with which the phrase Mary's son sounds to their ears. What does Jesus say to them? A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. Now, this was a common phrase in the day, and it's become a common phrase for you and I too, right? Well, you know, a prophet's not accepted in his hometown. We've probably heard that before. But where does that come from? Uh, What Jesus is talking about here is a historical pattern in the history of Israel. Um, And really, Nazareth, in this case, his hometown, becomes a small picture of the larger picture of the history of unbelief amongst God's people. 
And even more than that, it becomes a foreshadowing, a looking into the future of the unbelief that is going to continue to exist uh, until sometime in the future. In 2 Chronicles, which is a history book in the Old Testament, we read this, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them. He never stopped sending to them messengers. That is, people that carried His word. Because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. Jesus, or God kept sending messengers to God's first people, Israel. Why? Because He had compassion on them. He cared for them. He cared about what would become of them. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people, until there was no remedy. Or in Jeremiah chapter 11, we see that the men of Jeremiah's hometown warn him, if you preach to us, we're going to kill you. And literally in chapter 5 of Jeremiah, we read that those same men, those same men openly say, you might be a real prophet. We prefer the false prophets. Because they don't preach destruction or doom or judgment. They preach to us salvation. Not in the future, but in the right now. We don't want to hear anything from you. Almost all the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament are not accepted in their hometown. And Jesus is lining himself up with them, saying, neither is he. In verse 5, though, we begin to see Jesus' reaction, which is going to be a little bit strange. So bear with me for a minute. And he could not, he could do no mighty work there. Whoa, wait a second. Jesus couldn't do work there? Let's find out. Except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now these two verses could be a bit troubling for us. Jesus couldn't do mighty works? Hold on. Unbelief? takes away Jesus' power and authority? He can't be truly God, can he? Well, no, not at all, actually. Let's see, let's see what happens. In fact, it is easy to get hung up on that first part and the last part of those two verses, and we miss what's happening in the middle. Jesus actually did do work among them, right? He laid hands on several people and healed them. But what is this mighty work? What were people expecting? Well, it seems that the mighty work would be like the work that he'd been doing throughout the whole Galilean region up to this time, um, where masses of people are coming to him, and he's teaching them, and he's healing them, and he's casting out demons. We see from the rest of the study in Mark that physical healing is symbolic. Or rather, it does a good job representing the soul healing that people are experiencing as well. Are people actually healed? Yes, they are. And yet, what is that actual healing showing us? 
Um, well, it's showing us that people are turning away from themselves and that they are turning to Jesus in faith. So if we're going to understand these two verses, I think we need to shut down that reading that says that he could not do any mighty works there. Instead, we want to look at it in the way that we looked at it in week five of our series together, which I know it was a long time ago now, okay? But in week five, we said this, that the miracles of Jesus point to his message. That the works of Jesus point to his words. And that Jesus meeting the felt needs, that is the needs that people understand, the needs that they understand that they have, point to the meeting of the deepest needs that they have. So Jesus' work there was not completely fruitless. He just wasn't met with the same positive response that he had been met with elsewhere. Now, I don't know about you or me, but I'm reading this and I'm thinking, oh, no, no, Jesus, 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 don't, don't give up yet. Why don't you turn around and go back and just do some more miracles? And if you do some more miracles, surely more people will believe. What was Jesus' response? It says that he marveled. He was amazed. Why? Well, as we already saw from verses 1 and 2, his works were clear. People knew about them. They were mighty. His message was understood as wise. So people knew what he was preaching. In fact, he preached it to them. Repent. Believe. Probably some parables thrown in there. Probably some Sermon on the Mount thrown in there, right? Mark doesn't give us all of the context of the teaching, but what we do know is that um, Jesus' message is unchanging, okay? So the message was understandable. The news was good. The miracles were known about. What's wrong with these people? These people were in unbelief. They did not believe who Jesus was. What stood in the way of them understanding? It wasn't his teachings. It wasn't his miracles. It wasn't his wisdom. It wasn't his healings. What stood in the way of them knowing who Jesus was fully was Jesus himself. In all of his ordinariness, in all of his normalness, in his human formness. Because they knew how human he was, right? They had seen him raised up from a baby to now, well, three years old to now. Jesus' ordinariness offended and scandalized them. And I think if we're honest, Jesus' ordinariness and his normalness offends us too. What does John remind us in the first chapter of his gospel? The word became flesh. That's where we're going next week with the anticipation series. That's what we recite together when we confess that the word became flesh, right? That Jesus 
in all of his godness, took on humanness, right? In true godness, he took on true humanness. And yet, when we're talking about the word being made flesh, what do we also understand from that? We understand that God gives us his word. Um, in fact, we have, we have it right here, right? God gives us that word. Jesus is that word, the actual words of God put onto flesh and bone. So when we come here on a Sunday morning and it seems like a simple thing to read a psalm, but all the beauty of the reading of a psalm on a Sunday morning, why? This is is the word of God. And yet, for many of us even, we pick up this book and we think, yeah, no, I'll read it for a little bit, I'll study it. But I'm offended by that. (laughs) I'm offended that there's a book that would claim, now we know it's through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, right? But we also know that this book was written through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. That this book has the power to be read and to heard and to cause people to believe. That is offensive. It really is. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we read this. I thank him who has given me strength. This is Paul speaking to his friend Timothy. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Not because Paul was faithful, right? We're going to read that in a second, but he was out killing people. Was he faithful? No. But God knew how he would empower him and what he would do. Though formally, here's Paul's faithfulness. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent, an opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, could not believe that a man who would come and die and claim to have risen again, he could not believe that that person could save. And so he persecuted all of the followers that came behind that man. What is our reaction? Are you offended by Jesus? Frankly, you should be. You should be offended by Jesus. Because like the good people of Nazareth, who are, they're a working class people. They build And that's essentially it. They are like a little village out in the middle of nowhere that is helping to build new structures for the Roman Empire, their sworn enemies. They're just going about their business. They're going to synagogue. They're following the law as close as they can. And then here comes Jesus and says, your works of the law mean nothing unless you repent and believe. This one whose nappies they changed, who they saw grow up, whose siblings they know, whose mother they know, whose father they claim not to know. It's this person that they do not believe. 
And I think it's our tendency to also not believe. In Romans chapter 9, we read this, As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. In 1 Peter, we studied together, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. We read elsewhere in Romans that um, Jews are offended by this good news. And we also see that us as Gentiles can be offended by it as well. Because whether we like it or not, we all like to think that we can save ourselves. And that's the one thing Jesus is saying you cannot do. Okay. Sorry, I know I'm I'm dragging behind here. I'm going to keep going into verse 7 of Mark here. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave authority, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to, and to not put on two tunics. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So, that they, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Jesus is warning his disciples here that what you are going out to do is going to be offensive. And in fact people will reject you for it. We've already seen Jesus rejected a couple times. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians all rejected him. They said, this man's dangerous. We've got to get rid of him. <laughs> the people across the sea uh, that we just studied two weeks ago that uh, were mostly Gentiles, but some Jews, they kicked him out and said, whoa, 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 you're going to upset the order of things around here. Please leave. And now we see Jesus' hometown rejecting him. In, um, sorry. In John chapter 15, we read over and over again uh, that the world is going to hate Jesus. And because of that, the world is going to hate his followers as well. In John 15, 18, we read, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. But Jesus also warns in chapter 15, whoever hates me hates my father also. The one true God that these people in Nazareth were claiming to worship, Jesus is saying they actually hate him too. Jesus should be offensive to you. The words that he speaks that you must turn away from yourself and turn to him in belief (laughs) is offensive. But don't let that offense turn to unbelief. For Jesus' disciples, they were called out by him, sent out by him to also go and to experience 
that rejection. And that is the call for each of us as well. Right now we're going to be transitioning to the Lord's Supper. And it seems like a small thing. Some bread and for us some juice. Um, In fact, it seems like such a small thing that it's a bit ridiculous. (laughs) Why would we eat this bread and this juice together on a Sunday morning? Um, I have real wine at home, okay? (laughs) And I don't, actually, I don't know if you could get better bread anywhere else, but, but you might say, no, I've got bread at home, I've got wine at home. I could go home and I could enjoy this meal by myself. Why does this matter? Really, what we have before us when we sit down and we partake of the Lord's Supper together is we have this strange normalness of the faith that we have been given, okay? We have a strange normalness in that something so small and so physical would be something that God uses to build us up as a community of believers and to build us up in our faith together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul goes on to say that any of us that eat and drink this cup in uh, an unworthy manner are condemned in that. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want us to just have a time of silence, a time of prayer. Um, Maybe go back and read through verses 1 through 6, verses 1 through 13 of Mark. Reflect upon that. Think about your response to Jesus, the simplicity of Jesus, and frankly, the simplicity and the ordinariness of his message to you. So in this meal, we have something small and physical and ordinary and something that we could just look at and move throughout our day without thinking twice about. But instead, this little meal is something that Jesus uh, called us to do. He commanded us to do it. Because through it, He wants to pull us closer to Himself. And He wants to bring us closer to one another as well. As Jesus reminded us, uh, you will be rejected. You will be hated just as He was hated, just as He was rejected. Um, Throughout Mark's Gospel, We have the shadow of the cross looming heavy over each and everything that Jesus does. And we see that again here in chapter 6. But it's through the cross that we can gather together this morning and we can be reminded that we have the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. We are also reminded, as we saw from that 1 Timothy passage of Paul speaking to his young friend Timothy, he said, I was once in unbelief. So when Jesus left Nazareth, he left knowing that they were not going to believe anything that he was saying. 
And yet Paul also was that person once, and yet came to faith. Was gifted faith and understood who Jesus was. In Romans chapter 11, we read that if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in. And really, though that's to a particular people, that goes for all of us as well. And for each and every person that we meet on a daily basis. The person that we walk by, pass by, our neighbor. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read this. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What did Paul tell just as Christ had told him? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. His body was broken for us and His blood was spilt for us. His body was broken so that ours don't have to be. And His blood was spilled. He died on a cross so that we don't have to be punished for our sins. Let me pray for us real quick. Father God, we love You. We thank You now for this bread, for this juice that very much um, like the healings that you did, that Christ did throughout his ministry, pointed to the message. We are reminded this morning that in the simple act of eating and drinking this meal, we proclaim Jesus' death for the sins of many until he comes again. God, we know that through this meal, we have the promise of forgiveness. We can come to you right now forgiven. Thank you. We thank you for your son Jesus who bled and was broken and died for us. It's in his name that we pray. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.